This is 680 CJOB. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Main Ingredient, or TMI, as I like to call it. Usually, I bring my guests into the studio and we talk at length about their business or product. But this week, I'm talking to Chef Tristan Foucault, who is the executive chef at the Peasant Cookery, which is located at 283 Bannantine Avenue. And we talked while having a beer sitting in the restaurant lounge so I could get a true feel of what the Peasant Cookery is about. Tristan, let's, uh, let's start with way back, your introduction introduction to the kitchen. You mean a professional kitchen or my first introduction I'm, to the kitchen? Your first introduction to the kitchen. I would say with my mom, which everyone obviously says, but uh, we are single family, three kids, and we used to uh, prep dishes. We'd come home, my sister and I would get stuff ready for the dinner, mom would come home and cook it. And I had a mother that, you know, she was a really good cook and always cooked different things. Yep. So, you know, she had a lot of cookbooks and I think that was my first, you know, foray into it. So she, you guys knew what was being prepared that night? You guys would prep yeah. everything and she would just come home and cook it to make it easier? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. Did you do it willingly at first or was it something you looked forward to? Or Yeah, no, I think it became fun. Um, yeah, I loved it. Okay, what was your introduction to the kitchen professionally? I must have been 15, 16 and I was working at the keg. and Which keg? Uh, the one in St. James. Okay. And uh, I was a busboy, and someone said something about my long hair and called me a miss, <laughs> and I responded inappropriately, and a manager heard me and kind of grabbed me by the shoulder, walked me into the kitchen, and said, you're a cook. <laughs> Immediately. You're Immediately. not talking to anybody. No more. Well, what did you think of that? Is that what you wanted to do, or just like whatever? Oh, no. It was great fun when we were kids, because yeah. you know, it was me and three, four of my buddies. Yeah. And, you know, we'd go in, work busy, busy, busy shifts, and, you know, go have fun after, and yep. it was a great job. Okay, so let's talk about after that job. Um, you went to school, and you, you went to school for criminology? Yeah. You were considering being a lawyer? Yes, well, you know, I kind of was bouncing around, and my mom said, you know, if you don't know what you're going to do, go to university. Yep. So, you know, wasn't sure on anything. Law did interest me, and then... I don't know, I had a few friends that were lawyers. Yep. It just seemed less fun. <laughs> uh, everything seemed so slow. Mm -hmm. You know, the court system was so slow. Everything about it. They had filed papers, this and that. You know, you know, kids growing up watching TV, it was like, oh, I'm going to be a you know, trial attorney and this is going to be so much fun. But they said it was slow. And there's one thing I like about the kitchen is that there's two deadlines every day. No one cares what happens. What do you mean by two deadlines? You got to be ready for lunch. You got to be ready for dinner. Yep. No ifs, ands, or buts, and that's that. Which I like. Right. It's just cut and dry. Yep. Okay. So you are you you were born and raised in Winnipeg. Yep. So you left Winnipeg to to actually pursue to actually learn how to cook. Yeah, I could cook, but right. I thought I needed formal training if I wanted to move up fast enough. Right. So so you went out west. Yeah. Why out west? Um, I wanted to go to a French school. The Culinary Institute of America was outside the realm of being able to afford it. Right. And I wanted to do it quick because by then I was, I don't know, 27 years old. Right. And the program here was two years with, you know, two placements of four months, which I didn't think I needed really. I wanted to go get the knowledge, get it done, get in, get out. Right. And get, and get working. Yeah. How was it? It was a great school. Yeah, I loved it. 
French cooking was the way that you wanted to go? That's yeah. how you grew up, right? You're, you, you're, are you French? Yes. My father's French. My mother's Irish. But, uh, yeah, no, to me, you know, looking at the classics, reading all the books, you know, before I went to school, you know, the foundation of a lot of our food is, is French. Right. So that's what appealed to you. You grew up doing a lot of that stuff, so that's what appealed to you most? Yeah. Was your intent to move back to Winnipeg once you were done? There was no real intent. Um, I worked in Vancouver for a while. Right. And then I got two job opportunities, and one was in Whistler, and one was on the island. And my wife was not into moving twice a year yeah. for work. So this wasn't going to happen. You know, so I was working in Vancouver, and I flew back to visit my mom and stuff, and I got two opportunities, and one seemed a lot better than the other, and we took it. Because, you know, living in Van, you know, we had a great apartment, but once we started looking at having children and stuff, expensive. when am I going to live in Surrey and commute two, three hours a day on top of a 10, 12-hour day? Right. You know? Yep. And what I'm going to afford in Surrey, <laughs> compared to what I could afford here, is drastically different. For sure. And, you know, I do love this city. I know. You know what? I spent a lot of time trying to, when you're young, you travel around and try to get away from Winnipeg, but then when you look at what it has to offer, it actually is a great city to live in, especially since you know everybody, right? Yeah. Good opportunity. Okay, so you came back and began a professional relationship with WOW Hospitality. Yeah. What was your first restaurant that you worked in here? Green Gates. How did that go? I actually interviewed with Jim Armstrong, who was the GM at the time. He's the Doug's partner and dance partner in WOW. You know, we got along great, and yeah, it was a great Great restaurant. I used to cater a lot out of there. Yep. Which, when you're young, tons of fun. Mm -hmm. You know, nowadays. <laughs> Not so much? Not so much nowadays. <laughs> What's the difference work-wise between running a restaurant and catering? Like, I obviously know what the differences are, but, you know, work-wise, what catering is more appealing? Catering could be, especially because Green Gates was such a multifaceted unit. Mm -hmm. You know, we had the weddings there, we had all the off-sites, you had the restaurant, so when I would do a catering, it would really land on me. So I would do pretty much all the prep for it. I would go do it. You know, it was fun, but those could be some viciously long days. Um, who's on first? Yeah. You went from Green Gates to who's on first? Yeah. And how was that experience? That was neat. You know, I kind of, at the first time, you know, first time Doug offered it to me, I kind of shied away from it, mm -hmm. you know. By then, I had won a stage, and I'd spent a month at the French Laundry, and I kind of felt like, you know, I want to do fancy French food. Right. And, and you're going in totally opposite from Totally that. opposite way. And Doug finally said to me, he's like, you're 28 years old. I'm offering you a head chef job of a restaurant that doesn't exist, doesn't have a menu. What are you doing? So I said, okay. <laughs> I'm going to learn Asian food. Duly noted. <laughs> The main ingredient will return after the break and continue talking with Chef Tristan Foucault from The Peasant Cookery. Had a chance to go to The Peasant Cookery and sit down with head chef Tristan Foucault a couple of weeks ago, so we're going to continue to listen to that conversation. Um, okay, so The Peasant Cookery used to be the Wee Bistro. That's what it started at. What was the move from Who's On First to Wee Bistro? How did that opportunity come up? About? Well, that was a deal that Doug and I had right from the get-go, mm -hmm. was that... You know, right when you took, this. right when you started working at Who, right when you became head chef. When I, yeah, when I said I do Who's, the deal was, you know, kind of four or five years, how we get a French restaurant. Right. So that's pretty much what happened. Wow. Yeah. Lived up to his word. That's good. Um, how was that experience? 
Opening week? Yep. Opening week was a ton of fun. You know, this place, you know, we changed a lot of it. And my sous chef, two sous chefs and I, we did almost a big chunk of this work. We ripped up all the carpets. We painted the whole place. You know, it, it was a big labor of love. Because when we left Who's, we actually ran decanters for the owner, Gerald, for a bit. Until we, wow, took it over. And uh, we had a lot of time to get things done the way we wanted them to do get done. All right. Okay, let's talk about the concept change. The, the peasant cookery, what initiated that concept change and does the restaurant now fit your personality better? I don't think it fits my personality better at all. Um, I think one thing that we didn't promote it much is, at We was the fact that we made everything. Right. So that was a big conscious decision to, to really push that when we opened Peasant. Mm -hmm. But the real reason I think we, you know, the sales kept you know, not being what they needed to be. You know, this neighborhood changed drastically when we was open. They took the building down next door, brick by brick. Mm -hmm. Sandblasted all the bricks, built a parkade, and rebuilt it. You know, we lost so many parking spaces. They ripped up the park, you know, a year after we were here. But I think overall, you know, when the stock market went in the tank, you know, people, you know, you'd look at us online, and it was the best place to take a date. Right. It was the best place for an anniversary. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't pay the bills. Right. It's got to be the best place to go Every, all the time. Right. So, you know, you know the white tablecloths and the ice wine glasses, you know, people, especially during festivals, there'd be so many people outside and we'd have almost no one inside. Really, eh? Because they see the white tablecloths. Right, they yeah. see the expensive wine glasses. They're like, I can't afford this. Right. But now there's a festival and it's has as many people outside as inside. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, you know, we went from being... A special event restaurant, I think, to an everyday restaurant. But the style of food that we do didn't change, really. Yep. You know, we probably stopped using things like sablefish because it was so expensive. Mm -hmm. But our cooking techniques and our commitment to the way we cook hasn't changed at all. How have you changed as a chef? Now that you're a chef and an owner? Um, I, was a part, I was a part owner as I came into We. Right. But, yeah, no, being an owner and a chef definitely changes the way... You look at the business. And how does it change it? When I was a chef and just a chef, you worried about the kitchen. You worried about the food. That was it. Right. Single focus. You know, now you look at every single expense. You know, when you're hoping to take 6 to 10% home at the end of the year, every nickel counts, mm -hmm. which is not the way most fancy French chefs look at it. <laughs> is it, a, it. Do you think it's a tougher grind here in Winnipeg than other cities? You have a lot of restaurants in the city. No, you know what? I don't think it's a tougher grind here. If not, I think Winnipeggers are almost more loyal to a place they like. Mm -hmm. I found when I was living in Vancouver, there were so many trendy spots. Lots. I was living in an apartment for a year and a half, and the restaurant at the end of the street in Kitsilano changed hands three times. Massive renovations, like millions of dollars. Gone in six months. Really? Gone in eight months. Wow. Well, you know, what do they say? You know, 50% of restaurants die after a year. Yeah. And 80% die after five years. Holy crap. So. That's insane. Yeah, and if you think about it, if you're trying to make that 6 10%, and everything in this place is disposable, you know, power goes down, fridges go down, you know. We blew a circuit two days ago, lost $400 worth of meat. Oh, it's nice. That's a tough grind. So... 
couple questions. One is, how do you think the restaurant industry has changed, in, I'll say in Winnipeg, in the last 10 years? How do you think this area has changed in the last 10 years? Like you said. In- oh, this area is drastically different than when we moved in. Mm-hmm. And especially like when Doug, my business partner, and the president of WOW owned the spaghetti factory next door. You know, back in those days, you know, the corner had prostitutes on it. I know. And nowadays, I used to to drive around. You know, that was the thing to do, right? Yeah. But nowadays, you look at it, you know, and there's so many new restaurants. And at first, people are like, oh, does that, you know, bother you? Is that, you know, no, I love it. Bring more, more people down here, more restaurants down here. Because it used to be like you drive down a cordon and you could walk and go to different places. Well, right. If there's only one thing to go to, then you're just going to go there and then leave. But if there's there's more things. I feel that this is the neighborhood now that. People do that. Right. You know, people come down here on an oyster night and they can't get, get in because we're packed. Maybe they go down the street, have a drink. We tell them to come back. They come back. You right. know, it's... And as far as safety, it's just night and day from, from what it used to be, 15 sure. years ago. Yeah. Um, what's your relationship like with the other vendors? Oh, we're all friends. Yeah. You know, my sous chef is, you know, the head chef at Clementine now. Yeah. You know, which is great to see, you yeah. know. We've been around long enough, I think, that, you know, I look at going to most kitchens in the city and it's my former staff. Yeah, which is, that's a compliment to you, obviously, yeah, right? and to the restaurant. Yeah. Um, what does a place for real food from the land mean? I don't know who came up with that one. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it, it's a good one, but it's just, I think it's just us doing honest food. We buy from as many local people as we can. I think it's just, you know, farmers that do good things, fishermen that do good things. It's just honest food that we don't mess with. Yeah, Manitoba has a lot of things going on that people really don't realize is going on, right? Um, what about the design of the restaurant now? Okay. Rustic, funky, very cool. You know, I think we were lucky that we, like, we looked at a couple of spaces. Yep. But when we looked at this one and you look at these walls that are 110 years old now, you know, when we painted these windowsills, this place has been so many things that there's like 20 layers of paint. I know, I know. You know, it's just, you know, the restaurant was designed by Jennifer Stockford, who did a great job, but I think we had such a space that we didn't really have to do that much to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we did, did spend some money, but it's just a beautiful old building. It is, it's very nice. After the news and weather at the bottom of the hour, Chef Tristan from the Peasant Cookery and I will get into what exactly takes place in his well-run kitchen. I'm Kevin Bergen on The Main Ingredient, and this is 680 CJOB. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Before the break, I was playing a conversation I had a couple weeks ago with Chef Tristan Foucault inside the lounge at the Peasant Cookery, which is why you'll hear the background noise of a busy restaurant. So we're going to continue listening to that conversation. You seem to be known for your love of meat, particularly pork. (laughs) Where does that preference come from? I think I've always had that preference, mostly because I can utilize the entire animal. Um, You know, we butcher four sides of pigs every week. You know, we have a great relationship with Zinn Farms, who does beautiful Berkshire pork for us. And it's just one of the, like, I I can use every single part of it. Which is bizarre. Again, bizarre in the fact that a lot of places say, you know, we, um, you know, we make our own sauces, we do our own thing, blah, blah, blah here. But the thing that really caught my eye, caught my interest, was that 
exactly like you just said, you use things, everything that a lot of places would toss or wouldn't use or don't know how to use, right? Yeah. But for us, it works out just, it's, it just works out perfectly. You know, we grind the legs and they become our torch here. Or sorry, the butts become our torch here. The legs become all our <laughs> yeah. dry cured sausage. Yeah. You know, the chops, the neck and all that. We sell as main courses and we just always have the right amount of pork. Yeah. You we, told me even you use the face too, right? What do you use the face for? <laughs> we make porchetta detesto with the face. <laughs> and the ears. Which <laughs> is awesome. Which is delicious. Yeah. Um, we talked briefly about uh, about Clementine, Chris Kama. And he was telling me that he learned a lot from you. He, you were pretty much his schooling for learning how to do a lot of things that he uses now. You were the charcuterie king. He learned a lot about charcuterie through you. Um, how do you feel when you hear something like that? Oh, I feel great, and I learned a lot from Chris. Chris had one of the best demeanors I've ever seen in a kitchen. Really nice guy. Though. Yeah, really nice guy. great guy. And it he was almost never flustered. It didn't matter how busy we were. I've put that kid in some situations that are pretty funny. Because I met him when he was just a kid working for us at Green Gates. Right. And one of my favorite stories is uh, he had worked something like a 10, 14-day stretch. He was out at a pool party, blah, blah, blah. My chef calls him and says, like, you got to get down here. You got to go to a catering with Tristan. His wife might have a baby any moment. So we end up going to Tina Jones to do a big fancy catering. I think it was about seven, seven or nine courses. And we get there, we get set up, and I get the call. And being my first child, I hop in the car like You're a gone. police officer, and I'm like running lights and, you know, get there and didn't have the baby till the next day. And Chris ended up at this catering that was just beyond what he was trained to do, but took it in stride and yeah, he ended up working me with me. Oh my God, I'd say at least 70 years. Holy smokes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's pretty good to work with someone that long, and they have nothing but good things to say about you. Like I said, he had really, really good things to say about you, which um, I found super interesting. We train very well. Our waiters are very, very well trained, and it just sets the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And being part owner and chef in the back, I have a tie to the front that isn't that... I know I need them. I know how valuable they are. Usually. Whereas sometimes chefs in front of the house, they get in this and that. But here the first thing is, you know, everyone comes in and says hello when they start their shift. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not going to fit into that type of environment, go somewhere else. All right. Let's talk about the menu. Talk about a lot of things. Let's talk about the menu. Who designed the menu? I do most of it with my sous chef. Yeah? Yeah. Um... Well, what inspired I all of it with my sushi? <laughs> what kind of things inspire you to be put on the menu? Is it things that you'd eat at home? Things that you know that people like? Like what? What kind of things are you aiming for? What's your goal? I think it's all of it are things that I like. Um, I have a hard time putting things on a menu that I personally don't want to eat. Right. So I think that's the biggest one foremost. Um, a big part of when we op we changed from we to peasant is we wanted to be seen as affordable. Was that a hard change? 
going from something that's looked at as really high end to something that is is every day. Even though yeah. you said like you didn't really change the things you were making, but yeah. marketing wise, now you're saying, hey, now we're just well, there's less restaurant. foie gras and caviar, mm -hmm. which we still use foie gras, but you know, and there's the sable fish is gone because this stuff is like thirty bucks a pound or something like that. You know, we don't serve ahi tuna, mm -hmm. but we don't cook any differently. But there's a real focus on having someone come in here and leaving full. But without looking at their bill and going, oh my God, totally, can't right. do that again. Right. You know, so I think that's a big, big push here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we went from a less than a million dollar restaurant to a $2.3 million restaurant. And our guest check is probably 60% of what it used to be. But we serve three times, four times the amount of people we used to. Right. How long did it take to make that change? Like, that's not an overnight thing, obviously, you know, to, to change a restaurant and market yourself with something else. You know, it went up probably 20% that first year, and then then it went big. Yep. And since then, every year, it's about 5 7% more. So right. it Doing just, it right, just keeps going. Right. So that is a nice thing that, you know. I think the change came at the right time because, again, the exchange has changed. A lot of things, a lot of new restaurants have opened. There's a lot of things that actually keep people here. Um, yeah. And this restaurant is one of them, right? Yeah, and our location. It's awesome. Our location's pretty damn good. Yeah, you know, good. the patio in the summer, it's great. You're right against the park. You get to see the festivals, all sorts of things, you know? Mm -hmm. If you're not making it yourself, you're getting it from local producers. Why is that important to you guys? I don't know. I figure if people are spending their money locally on me I should do the same only makes sense right and you know yeah some some stuff we have to ship in because we're in the middle of the country you know I can't pretend that we can run a hundred mile diet here I'm not in Napa Valley totally but you know like we make our own bread here mm -hmm. but we can't do it at lunch because it's just way too many baguettes yeah. so we use Le Croissant you know Guy worked in amazing restaurants in France. You know, running a small bakery. Yep. Beautiful product. Why wouldn't we use it? Big time. You know, and even our fish. We get our fish from Bearcat, and the guy owns three or four lakes way, way up north, like by the Northwest Territories. So the fish take longer to grow. Clean, clean water. How do you find someone like that? His wife found me, actually. <laughs> really? Yeah, she came in here one day, I think when we were wee. Yeah. And she's like, you want to buy some fish? <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I'll take uh, like, a Ryan Coke and do you want some fish? Well, it's kind of like, is this legal fish? <laughs> and so he was at that point was only legally allowed to sell us pike. Yeah. So we started buying his pike and he did get a direct dealer's license to sell us pickerel. And his pickerel was hands down way better than anything you could get out of Lake Winnipeg. Like I fish a lot. I don't really eat the fish out of Lake Winnipeg. Yeah. I'll eat them out of Lake of the Woods, but after I've tasted the fish from up north, yeah. it's just it's just night and day difference. And you've used this ever since? Ever since, yeah. Wow. And we use a lot of it. And it's great, because it is a local thing. You know, especially in the summers when you get all the tourists and stuff in mm -hmm. for these events. You know, we go through so much of that stuff, it's insane. That's just killer.
Back after the break with more conversation with Chef Tristan Foucault from the Peasant Cookery. We're back and I'll continue my conversation with Chef Tristan Foucault from the Peasant Cookery in a moment. But I just wanted to talk about one of my favorite local events coming up on March 18th, which is a Love Local MB event taking place at Canadians Destination Centre, Polo Park. This is the fourth time this event has taken place and the purpose of it is to bring together and celebrate and promote Manitoba food and beverage artisans. There will be over 60 delicious Manitoba food and beverage developers for you to sample with live music and you get a complimentary glass of wine with your ticket. And tickets are only 15 bucks. And I'll be there to MC with such well-known Manitoba favorites like Cranked Energy Bars, Danny's Whole Hog, East India Company, Half Pints, Perfect Pierogies, and some new favorites like Little Brown Jug, Lord of the Pies, and Peg Beer Co. Also, I'd like to congratulate Peter Fair, who is the owner of Gourmet Inspirations, and Colleen Dick, the creator of Gorp Clean Energy Bars, in being selected to present their products to over 150 celebrities at the Oscars this weekend in the luxury gifting suite. I know their products will be well-received, and you can sample their products as well at the Love Local event on March 18th. And you can purchase tickets at lovelocalmb.com. Now back to my interview with Chef Tristan Foucault at the Peasant Cookery. Let's talk about some, some basic things about the restaurant. How many does the restaurant seat? Like I see, we're in the lounge right now, um, which is awesome. There's a hallway that's, that splits the restaurant from the lounge, which is kind of funky. How many does the restaurant seat? How many can be seated in here? I think we're about 75 in the restaurant. Yep. And I think in here we're licensed to about 40-something. Yep. So we're about that. Is it usually people come in, they have a reservation for the restaurant. If they're waiting or they're walking in, they're having drinks here, and then, you know, until a restaurant, op- a restaurant table opens? This or- bar... Lounge, whatever you want to call it, is has so many regulars that you know we will see these people three, four times a week. Yeah, it is a great spot, and a lot of them only come in here. Yeah. Some will do both, you know, but for the most part, this place is a very loyal follower. Um, what about the hours? What are your hours? And do you guys cater? <laughs> no, we don't cater. Wow, I, 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 I should know that after what you what you told me. Right? No, wow itself caters, but we, you know, when you're talking labor and all this stuff, and you're talking talking making six to ten points, the staff that have to produce this stuff mm-hmm. is here. Right, I, I would they find don't, it, they don't have time to go anywhere else. I was about to say that from all the stuff that you guys are actually producing here and doing here. Yeah, it would be hard to actually. And it, you know, anyone who's been in my kitchen knows how small my kitchen is. It is small, isn't it? It's pretty small for the food that we produce. And the fact that we're making bread, the fact that we're butchering pigs, the fact that we're making charcuterie, which all take up, you know, think about butchering four pigs. That takes up some space. You know, when you got seven, eight guys and girls moving around, all with knives, prepping, you know, lunch changes over to dinner. It's just... It's a bottleneck back there, and it's tight. So to think of us being able to take that and on take the it on the road yeah. would be very challenging. Right. I'd have to have extra staff. There. Well, I don't know what to do with them the rest of the time. Right. Do staff, kitchen staff that come in, and they see how much is being done back there, like you're butchering, is it ever shocking for them to see that, holy crap, we do this here? Like, I'm yeah, going to learn this here? You know, I, I'm lucky enough that I haven't had to really search for cooks so everybody here has been a while been here a while i turn they, they do turn over but for sure but it's not like you know i have friends and chefs and that's all they moan about you know staff just they can't get good staff you know i tell anyone that i interview this is what we do and either this is something 
you're into or you're not. So I really look when I hire at people that want to become chefs mm -hmm. because you can come in here and learn a lot if you want. So most of the cooks, they're, they're, they're dedicated towards that sort of thing. No shocking off for anybody? Every now and then. <laughs> you know, you'll get a student. We have, we have a student right now, and she's the one that told me that my porchetta thing was on YouTube, and I'm like, what? But Your what? Your pork Was it? Yeah. I don't, I don't even know. I think Ian, <laughs> photographer, did the video without yeah. me even knowing and put it up there. She's like, oh, I saw this. Bloody thing. internet. But today was the first time she saw yeah. all the pigs get dropped off. And, you know, on go the gloves, out come the saws. And I can take apart four pigs with a little bit of help in about two hours. Good. Great. Wow. Yeah. And we got to wield all this thing around the kitchen. So it's <laughs> it's fun. But it's, it's, it's like a military. Everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah. Why do you think your kitchen doesn't turn over as high as other people's? Probably from the philosophy you have from the beginning, like, hey, walk in and say hi and just kind of treat people how you want to be treated, right? Yeah, and I don't, you know, there's no false pretense. There's no promise you this or that. I'm very dedicated to having a staff that is full-time. Mm -hmm. I don't run a lot of part-time people. I don't run prep cooks. I run cooks that get their stations ready. They're responsible. They have to be ready for dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked in kitchens where they had prep crews and, you know, they finished three quarters of their list and their day's done and off they go. Well, no, here are the guys work hard, often get a little overtime, but they get the job done. They're responsible. So I think that responsibility, you know, gives them something to look forward to. Sure, especially since, some, you know, you're not being micromanaged. You know, you know your job. Yeah, no, I, I'm not a micromanager. You know, I have my job that I do. Everyone has their job yep. that they do. Yep. You know, obviously we oversee everything, but I expect that they do what they do. Do you guys have anything coming up for the summer? Any special events or anything that are coming up that you're participating in? What's that? Do you guys have Oyster Night? Oh, as far as that, yeah. yeah. Oyster Night's nuts. What night is Oyster Night? Wednesdays. Every Wednesday is Oyster Night. Every Wednesday is Oyster Night. You know? And it's packed in here? What's that? It's packed in here. Oh, it's Restaurant and lounge? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Really? Oh, when we first started, you know, it was like three, four hundred oysters. Now, I'm shocked if we're under fourteen hundred. In a night? Yeah, we get into the twenty-five hundred range in the summer. You know, it's funny, you see so many... Since we've done it, I've seen so many other restaurants kind of doing it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not selling bragging, but we, we sell oysters. And when it first started out, you know, it was just people coming in, having oysters, maybe a drink or two. And I was kind of like, is this a good idea? Yeah. But now, it, it, revenue-wise, it's the same as a Saturday night. You know, places packed till ten on a Wednesday. But, yeah, but people come in now and they have six, twelve oysters, but have dinner, right? Drinks, blah blah. You still get you know, the occasional table that comes in and orders three, four hundred. But <laughs> I think the record I think so far is one guy ordered one hundred and forty. Not for himself, yeah. and he ate them all. Oh, dude. oh. 
boy. Wow. Think about your stomach. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't even want to know what happened after that home. Phew. Crazy. We talked about the hours. What hours are you guys open? The news at the top of the hour is next, followed by the always entertaining Hal Anderson, and then followed by Mr. Tom Milroy. A great Saturday morning one-two punch to get your day going. I'm Kevin Bergen, and this is 680 CJOB. This is 680 CJOB.